Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. Down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Hello and welcome to Down with D&D. I'm Sean Merwin and I'm here with the one and the only Teos Alpha Stream Abadia. Welcome. I don't know. I felt like I had to somehow. Wow, that was, a, that, that was either the world's, either Zoom muted you for me or that was the world's worst scream. Well, yeah, I don't know. I just figured I was going to be clipping, so I had to, I don't know. You know, look, I, yeah. I wanted to bring some enthusiasm, but I, all I could think of was something that from an audio perspective would be bad. <laughs> yeah. OK, well, if, if you can just picture a bearded Teos uh, <laughs> screaming, but not really screaming. Right. That's well, that's ooh, that's kind of, you know, tombstone material screaming, yeah. but not really screaming. Yeah. Well, speaking of tombstone, there are some tombstone-ish feels going on with uh, Icewind Dale in some of what we're going to cover today. But before we get to that, we are going to talk about some news. And we're going to start with industry news, which there has been a lot of recently. And we thought there might be more coming. And we were right. As Elisa Teague is now the senior producer leading the role-playing division for Renegade Game Studios, a growing RPG company that has been turning heads with big, with big Kickstarters and big deals. So, Teos, do you want to uh, talk us through this? Yeah, I mean, you have worked with Alyssa. Um, sure have. She is fantastic by all accounts. I have not worked with her, but everybody who I think is awesome uh, keeps saying awesome things about Alyssa. Uh, and she is known for doing amazing puzzle design, for writing RPG adventures, interactives, things like that. She's gotten her, you know, it's just spread across all kinds of different RPG experiences. Uh, so she is someone absolutely that you'd see being picked for something like this. She's apparently also co-designed or, or to some extent worked with the upcoming Tasha's Cauldron of Everything book that everybody's heard about. Uh, she wrote a designed a the Wardlings RPG for miniatures for WizKids, uh, yep. the kind of kid-friendly RPG line or minis line. And what's really interesting here to me is this is yet another kind of big hire by a place that's not necessarily known by everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet they've made some really big waves with the games they've already done. But even recently, they announced a deal with Hasbro. Mm -hmm. Right there, it makes you go, it doesn't Hasbro own Wizards? Don't they already have a role-playing game company, but yeah. Renegade has a deal with Hasbro to create new Power Ranger, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and My Little Pony RPGs and deck building games. And it sounds like both for each, maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, they said that the Power Rangers RPG is going to come out first, but it sounds like all of them, oh, and by the way, they're 5e compatible, right? which is really interesting. Uh, and it's just, it's this, all of this is just super interesting. A really big company that is making big deals with mm -hmm. Hasbro. Uh, this has to involve a lot of money. Um, they are known for launching really slick, polished, successful Kickstarters, great marketing to their team, and they hire an awesome person. And yeah, this is just fascinating to watch. Yeah, it, it is 
obviously, you know, Alyssa is a uh, is is an outstanding game designer. Uh, even even board games. Yeah, right? I mean, it's all over uh, the board in terms of games and puzzles and design and and an absolute steel trap mind. Um, Alisa has, so that's not a surprise at all. The surprise is there's all these role-playing games coming out that wizards of the coast is not working on directly. Now who knows indirectly, because I know that she's worked closely with wizards, um, as you said, on Tasha's uh, cauldron of everything and, and many other projects. So it's, it makes you wonder, at least it makes me wonder what is wizards of the coast working on that they don't have the people to work on these things for Hasbro since they are 5e, not just RPGs, but deck building card games. Yeah. In the olden days, you know, like TSR, this would have very obviously have stayed inside of TSR and you would have had, you know, the names that we recognize from that era would have absolutely been the people to do this, right? They might've brought in some freelancers to help, but they would have been directing this and and in charge of this project and had their hands in it their words would have been in it right and so it's very interesting to think of these really big properties that are critical to hasbro but but you know i don't know that we're going to see any of the designers we know from the 5b team have their words in it right maybe not yeah it's just it's an interesting development that i just don't have enough information on to to make any judgments or or make any predictions long term about you know the rpg industry and dnd specifically uh but it, it's just an interesting piece in a puzzle that will hopefully become clearer uh you know over the next few months and years yeah and we also it's another sign of how there are some companies out there that are entering the rpg space in a, in a kind of possibly transformative way with a really different look at how you launch things and, and how you treat it as a business. And, and they have the ability to kind of almost come in out of nowhere and operate at a very big scale. Right. Yep. So that, that is an interesting uh, development, which we will keep an eye on both uh, Renegade specifically and other you know, big announcements in, in this area. In our Kickstarter area, we have a new product, a new Kickstarter up called Nazi Dracula Must Die, a Kickstarter by Anthony Joyce, Justice Armin, Sadie Lowry, and M.T. Black. Uh, it is Yes, that's a powerful group of designers who have succeeded grandly on the DMs Guild, and they are now taking their ideas to Kickstarter. Um, so this is a campaign that is wrapped around the idea that Nazi uh, magic and Nazi colossi are destroying the world and you must stop them. So it is a World War II era RPG that uses 5E rules uh, as its base. Uh, yeah, it's super interesting, right? Albert Einstein recruits you. Baba Yaga is fighting the Nazis. <laughs> like, right. Well, you know, Russian... Right, R- Russian uh, fighting the Nazis as well. Yeah. So that that makes sense. Um, there is the Kickstarter contains setting information, uh, eight new subclasses, an adventure for level five characters to hunt down and kill Nazi Dracula in Transylvania, uh, new equipment, magic spells, new creatures, 
Um, Brian Patterson, uh, D20 Monkey, does some awesome art. Rich Lescuflair, who we know from Adventures League and from other Wizards work, uh, does the layout graphic design. A ton of other designers uh, are also working on this. And it is it is interesting for a lot of reasons, but I wanted to get your uh, take first, Davis. Well, uh, this is, I think, one of one of three Kickstarters. We talked about two last week. It's at least the third, but but there have been some earlier forays where I think people have been really successful in the DMs Guild are saying, you know, I give it, rescind my royalties to the DMs Guild, and that's cool. I'm making good money and all, but what if I test the waters on how Kickstarter works for me? And, and they're doing it in a very professional manner, a very high quality manner. So, you know, when we look at what Adam Gregerson released, when we look at what Jeff Stevens released, when we look at uh, this release by Anthony Joyce, Empty Black, Justice, Sadie, like these are, you know, they're, they're not holding back. This is not a tiny little thing they're creating. They're, they're giving us a lot of creativity, beautiful art, beautiful layout. Uh, it's a lot what they're doing. And in this case, they're paying really well. They are putting their beliefs front and center. They're paying freelancers 20 cents a word, editors 10 cents a word. So they are really trying to account for their costs up front and be good about paying everybody that's working on the team. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. And there have been, I don't want to say a glut of Kickstarters, but it seems like every day I'm turning around and there's another sort of 5e D ish kickstarter going up and that that sounds great yep and the, you know one of the questions that comes to mind is is the audience going to be there for it right is it you know because we you there are people like you and i who buy everything right we back everything just because we want to support it and we can support it yeah. and, and we want this to do well but is there going to be a time when the consumer base taps out and says we can't even keep up with what Wizards is releasing. How can how can we do this? So so that's one of the things that that comes to well, mind. Well, as a collector, I have to say that that answer is no, and and yeah. and always is no. But I think it can be easier or harder to reach the people, but both the people who will buy everything or buy many things, mm -hmm. uh, and and the new audience. And that's that's the hardest part is is how do you tap into to those different audiences so that you get the proper backing, right? So out of these three Kickstarters, one of them's funded several times over, uh, one of them's halfway there, one of them's a third way there, though they all have different levels. And so it's not, you know, you can't compare apples to apples. I think they'll all end up yeah. funding, um, yeah. but but it isn't just easy, right? It's not just like launch a Kickstarter, sit back and make the money. You, you have to work hard yeah. as in anything else to make this get there. And, and I think that's why we see these people doing this because these are folks who we know, we've seen time and time again, they'll put the hard work in to make it a good product. Sure. And you know, I'm, I'm a coward. I have thought many, many times about, Oh, I should, I should do a Kickstarter. And I look at the work that would be involved yeah. in doing it right. And I just, I question whether I have the stamina to do, do, I could do the writing. I could do the writing with my eyes closed. It's doing the marketing. It's doing, you know, the yeah. due diligence on making sure yeah, all the books get to where they're supposed to be. It, it, the logistics, all of that, um, is is a whole different ball game than uh, the DMs Guild. So, yeah. kudos to to everyone who's you know taking the leap and and testing the market and doing uh, doing great work like like this product. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they can use everybody's support, right? Uh, they, these are good folks who are trying to to make it in this hobby, right? And I think you know, basically everybody on that uh, on these recent Kickstarters is trying to either make it their full, it either is their full-time job or they're trying to make it their full-time job. And so this is a, mm -hmm. a worthy endeavor they're taking on and they certainly appreciate your support. Yep. We have more from Sly Flourish. I do. I think this really yeah. ties into what we're talking about in 10 Towns. He wrote this piece, Thinking Two Horizons Out. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I know he thinks about a lot. I've thought about a lot, which is, you know, we'll do things like we'll bring out these cool looking dwarven forge setups and then the party goes left <laughs> and the right. bill just sits on the side table there and all right all right you know the next session we put it get it out there ready next to us now they go somewhere else now they went right mm -hmm. but i thought they're gonna go left this time and so that idea of like how do you plan not just for what's going to happen in this in today's game or whatever your next game is that you're running but after that where are they likely to head and to and to think uh, two horizons out not just what the players see now but what what's just beyond that and he, he comes up with various techniques on how to do that and i thought this really applied to to rhyme because there is this uh, approach around the 10 towns and these starting quests and dms have to think not just about the town they're in right now with the party but where are they likely to go after this so you kind of have to think two horizons out in this adventure yeah and what that doesn't necessarily mean preparing two horizons out. It just means knowing what a best, not best possible, but the most reasonable path that the players might take based on the information you're presenting them. And when we talk about the 10 towns, I'm going to bring this up at least a couple of times is while as a DM, you might not think about it, a single word that you present to the characters may point them in a certain direction. Uh, just by letting one detail slip, you could make it obvious that the next place they want to go is here, while that might not be where you are ready for them to go. Yeah. And so by thinking ahead, not only are you better prepared, uh, but you can tailor what you say to make it less likely that they are going to turn left when you expect them mm -hmm. to turn right. And yet it will still feel natural to them, right? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's not a railroad in the pejorative sense of the word. It is just providing the information that leads to a more likely outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that. I think that's a good skill to hone in this adventure of Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Oh, for sure. So we have minis <laughs> with tails. Oh, I've been drowning in minis over here, which is really like, if you think oh. of the Scrooge McDuck scenario, like that's what I would like yeah. to be. I'd like to be just in a pool full of minis. Right, uh, swimming around. And WizKids has done their best to, to do that for me. WizKids and D&D have launched a store portal for D&D minis called dndmini.com. Uh, it's basically the same thing that you could ever could get through the WizKids web store, but now it's filtered so you're seeing all of the D&D offerings. Uh, it's an easier to navigate site. I did not super love their old store, which is still their store, but on their site. Um, 
so the web store now makes it easier to find what's what's current, what's new. If you want to see what huge, exciting dragons and things like that they have, it's all there. Um, the web store price is the cover retail, retail price. That's the same price you would see in your favorite local gaming store. So that's a choice you have to make, and, and it's hard to make in this era of COVID. But you know, do you want to support WizKids directly? Do you want to, and your local gaming store gets nothing? Do you want to go to your local gaming store where it's sort of half and half? Um, you can go to discount web retailers, and those might shave 10 to 20% off the price. But then you know, those entities that you want to support are getting less. So you know, it, it's worth checking and thinking through. Um, sometimes discount web retailers are not cheaper than a place like this. So, you know, think it through and decide who you want to support. I think it's always important to be conscious around where your money is going, what you're doing. But they are trying to encourage you to do it because they are offering, if you spend $100 on the store during this limited time offer, you get three Yeti Tyke special minis. So these are variants mm -hmm. of the Yeti Tyke that's in their newest collectible set. These are little baby Yetis. They're very cute. And there are three of them in different poses. And you get them for free if you spend 100 bucks. Okay, so as a non mini collector what what uh, yeah i know i know i'm i will be flogged for this later. so if i go to dndmini.com mm -hmm. can i just like type in ghoul and purchase ghouls from them directly yeah you should well oh you're saying like are they doing individual minis i don't believe yeah. so um okay. so they are not offering so you would get it because what they have is they have their unpainted series called uh, Nolzur's Marvelous Miniatures. So I just did that search okay. and I get two pack of unpainted ghouls because that is a product they offer. What you're not gotcha. going to see is they've had like, you know, 11, 12 ghouls so far, probably more like eight uh, in their various box sets. They packs. are not okay. reselling individual ones, but gotcha. you will get. Uh, you could buy a box of the collectible set that has ghouls, or you can buy these ghouls unpainted. Okay, so if you wanted the painted ones, the best option is still. Yeah, there you'd have go to go to, to a your... discount store or eBay, something like that, to get that individual one, or go to your local game store where they have that display point. Mm -hmm. That one through your mask. That one. Okay. That one. <laughs> that one right Give there. me the little one. <laughs> <laughs> I am your customer. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, Birds of Paradise, a DM's Guild release providing Aarakocra and Kenku sub-races. I did notice this uh, as I was browsing through the DM's Guild this morning. Yeah, I'm uh, the proud but, owner but of this. But you picked it up. Yeah, It's gorgeous. It is, like, it's so pretty. It's, it's so, it's pretty, like, you know, sometimes you're like, this just looks good. But this is, like, creatively gorgeous. Like, you look at it and you go, wow. <laughs> I'm so into right. the way this thing is designed. It's beautiful layout. The art of these various Kenku and Arakakura. So, you know, just to be clear, so this is a, a book containing sub races uh, so that you can make characters from one of these flying species or, or, or flying Arakakura or Kenku species. And they all have really interesting twists and turns based on real and imaginary creatures. A lot of creativity. They're really fun immediately makes me want to start a campaign where everybody's avian like just this it's great but you also would want to take the art from any one of these and be like here's my character because it's just it's such great art it's um nice. this has been a bit of a sleeper i feel like this birds of paradise product i highly recommend folks pick this up it's really gorgeous all right you can find that on the dm's guild just search birds of paradise 
the Eberron Oracle of War campaign is now heading into tier three. So if you were one of those people who said, what, you're only releasing one adventure a month, that will take forever. We're halfway to forever. <laughs> All of the tier one and tier two uh, core adventures are up. There is a core uh, tier one epic adventure. And hopefully coming soon will be a tier two uh, epic adventure. So as soon as that drops, then you will have pretty much all of the content that is going to be released for tiers one and two of Oracle of War. So you've, if you've been waiting, saying I'm going to run it once it gets into it, we're into it. We're into it. Uh, so the, uh, the EB10 was the final core storyline adventure. Judgment of Iron by Richard Green. And it got a great review from the people that previewed it uh, at, at conventions that were playing it. So uh, you can check it out. It is the third of a great trilogy of adventures set in the Mornland as you do battle with the Lord of Blades and his minions. I've, I have been loving this campaign. Everon Oracle War is really one of my all-time favorite organized play campaigns and you know you may think like well i don't do organized play great uh but maybe you have thought to yourself i wish i had one place i could go to and get like a cool eberron campaign that adventure by adventure would walk me through how to portray the flavor of eberron and capture that and give my players and me a really cool eberron story because i don't know otherwise i have to like dissect source books and endlessly figure out what eberron is and i don't know where to look this is the where you can look like you get these 10 adventures and each one is walking you through facets of life of Eberron, capturing that really well. And so I, I highly recommend this. I love it when an organized play campaign can just distill a setting down. And I think it does it does so very well here. So this yeah, next one, did a great... Richard Green, I mean, you guys have had amazing authors for this series. Uh, great stuff. Yeah. And another point. Well, thank you, first of all. Uh, Will Doyle has done a great job putting this storyline together and finding great authors to to fill it in. So that's been that's been helpful. But one of the things we tried to do is make this an organized play campaign for people that don't like organized play campaigns. Um, the rules are not overly, you know, the character creation rules are not overly complex. The rules for getting rewards for your characters are not overly complex. We've tried to distill it down. So it's very simple. It can be a campaign that you can run at home just as easily as you can run, you know, in public or online publicly. Uh, so it's, it's a good on-ramp for people that want to experiment with organized play, but don't want to dive deep into the, the deep, deep well right. uh, that, that is the Forgotten Realms uh, campaign right now. Yeah, and so, I, I played this yeah. at conventions uh, physically back when that was the thing. Remember those days? Mm -hmm. I remember that. Well, not really. But... <laughs> and then, uh, like... I've also been running this uh, and sometimes playing, sometimes we take turns, but uh, I've been running this for uh, a, a group of friends from the DC area, uh, just running it online. And, and I've experimented with, sometimes I use Roll20, sometimes it's just Zoom, you know, but it's very easy. So organized play sometimes just feels like a home campaign, um, but you can use those same rules and then just you know, take the adventure, run it online for your friends. Yep. And last but not least for our news, talk to me, Teos, about Keith Baker's 
Patreon-like Eberron campaign. Yeah, more Eberron. So Keith Baker sort of famously did a thing back, I don't know, a long time ago. I think he called it Have Dice Will Travel. And he would say, like, I forget the exact deal, but it was something like, you know, you give me room board and I will run a game for you. Mm-hmm. And you can literally get Keith Baker to be running a game for your team. And he's kind of doing something like that now. He's got a Patreon where he is going to be running an online Ebron campaign. And if you are supporting at the $6 a month level, uh, you might get picked randomly to be one of five people that plays in each session. And he'll just kind of randomly pick five and they'll get to play. And even when they're not playing, they get to help shape the campaign and choose various options and things like that. So this seems like a really neat experiment. Keith's a fantastic DM. A uh, wonderful person, so really worth checking out if you are at all a Keith Baker fan or an Ebron fan, and you should be. Um, mm-hmm. We'll have the link in the show notes. There you go. Yes, I remember when he was doing that because I got a text from a friend in Buffalo who said, I can't believe it. Keith Baker's on my couch right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's dedication. I got to tip my hat to Keith, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to for getting out there and you know, we always say designers need to get out and run their own games and run games for the public. And uh, Keith took it to the nth degree yeah. right there, right? He was just like, yeah, I'm in your house running games for you. Yeah. So yeah, you know, unafraid, right? And, and but I bet he learned so much from those playing oh, yeah. in so many, and, and I don't think it was just in the US. I think he, he oh, yeah, overseas. Yeah. Too, so it's sure. just amazing. Yep. Now we get to our main topic today, which is our continuing look at Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden. We've carefully weaved our way through the Spine of the World Mountains, and now we are approaching, finally, the Ten Towns. So you want to talk about some uh, lore you should know? Yeah, if folks ever catch the official D&D podcast, they do a segment called Lore You Should Know. Uh, it's often Chris Perkins, sometimes others, who will speak to Greg Tito about some aspect of, of Forgotten Realms or D&D lore. And they did a, a lore you should know on the Ten Towns. And they also did one on the Ragged Nomads. Uh, mm-hmm. So I put both those links in here because I thought they were, they were pretty useful for anyone who's running this adventure. Yep. Uh, great background information there, as always. But what we're going to talk about is not background anymore. We are going to talk about the actual adventure where the rubber meets the very icy road (laughs) here in Icewind Dale. Uh, The chapter or the section that starts dealing with the encounters and the action that the players and their characters will undertake is called Cold Open. And this is how the book tells you as the DM to get your characters involved in the story. And it's an interesting premise, right? That they, so the way this begins is uh, a lot of times an adventure, you know, you show up and you're like, something has just started happening and you learn about it. But here Mm -hmm. your players, actually your characters know more than the players do. The first thing you do is tell your, your players that their characters know that there is perpetual darkness in Icewind Dale and that this area is unusually cold and that the rumors are that the Frost Maiden, O'Reel, has uh, caused some magical effect just throwing this place into this darkness. 
Um, and that's been going on for some time. Mm-hmm. And they're not there necessarily to do anything about it. I mean, maybe they decided to, but they're here for what, you know, you tell me why you're in Icendale. Right. And that secrets uh, section that we've talked about uh, maybe a couple episodes ago Mm -hmm. is one way that you can give your characters something to role play and something to keep in the back of their minds as to why they are in Icewind Dale. Yeah, it's also interesting that the the assumption of the adventure is that the players basically know the map of the area. They know where mm-hmm. what the ten towns are called, where they are, and maybe something even about them. They they could have been here around around in this area for for some time. Uh, I think that's very interesting as well. Anytime you have that a difference between player and character, I find that very interesting that the adventure has chosen that. Mm-hmm. So the the text tells you pick a town to start in and then decide which quest you're going to run. Now, there are two quests that can essentially happen anywhere. And then each town has its own quest. So you as the DM have to decide a, what town you want to start in and then B what quest you want to introduce. And this is where we were talking earlier about being careful with what you say. Because if you only want to start a town quest, you don't want to introduce any of these other quests because then you are leaving open any direction for the characters to go, including, if you use rumors, going to any of the other towns. Right. So as the DM, first thing you want to do is figure out what you want to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and, and what I find interesting here is you've got 10 towns it's a lot of pages. It's a lot of material uh, because you have material that covers each town and then you have material that covers the quest and sometimes even little extra quests of each town. And so Mm -hmm. it's not as simple as if, you know, they decide to go to Cardenival. Oh, quick, I'll just flip there because Cardenival actually has a Kyre in it and Mm -hmm. it's an enormous thing to read through. And, And so so there's, there is that question. It's a hard thing for a new DM to kind of go like, all right, how do I balance this? What do you even want to start with? And so how, how would you tackle that? <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the answer is tackle it like the book sort of lays out, which is use these two smaller starting quests first. This gets you, uh, first of all, it gets the characters a level quickly. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to worry about that first level. Oh, I critted you and killed you accidentally problem uh, that first level has. But then it also lets you ease into running, um, running a town. Personally, I would pick one of the smaller towns first, just so there's less to prepare because some players are going to walk into town and they're looking for the quest. Some players walk into town and they want to know what every building is. And for, for an experienced DM, that's hard, um, especially if you're running without a lot of prep. When they start asking, okay, how many taverns are there? Which tavern should I go to? Who's the mayor? Who's the speaker? Uh, who's in charge? Where can I buy this? Where can I buy that? All of that stuff can can pile up and be intimidating for even an experienced DM. So... I would start in one of the smaller towns and I would start with one of these short uh, opening quests. 
So one thing about the open quest, so there are these two opening quests uh, that you can do, uh, Cold Hearted Killer or Nature Spirits. One of them is more combat oriented, though it's very heavily investigative at first. And another one is really very low chance of combat. You're doing it wrong if you do combat. Um, And both of them, however, start with the premise of it cannot be solved in the first town you're in. So they will involve going to another town. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some interesting aspects here, but just, just stopping on, on at that point. So it's almost like, you know, you're, you're, you're gonna be in a town, that town has a quest and you've got this overarching quest, but it'll take you to another town and maybe possibly to several. And, and I think that's a little hard to, to gauge. Um, I like your idea of starting in a small town because that would be really easy prep. Um, There are two towns that I am drawn to as to where I would start. One is East Haven Mm -hmm. um, because it has a number of quests going on in it. Sure. Um, And so if you wanted to prep, you have to prep a little more, but you will then be prepping it almost has like extra mini quests in it that mm-hmm. actually aren't right. quests so you don't level from them which is interesting but um right. but it has these mini quests and so as a result you can spend a lot of time here so you do a little extra prep up front but now you can kind of just get your ground under you right like lay down a solid foundation of this town maybe call it a bit like home for them mm-hmm. The other one I really like is Goodmead. Goodmead is one where the speaker has been killed mm. and the quest is around sort of avenging them. But then there is also an election that's going on and one of the one of the people there is bad. So you could also make this their home base and one of them could even run for speaker. True. And so if you want to have a stake in 10 towns, this could be a way like, you know, this is your town. So that's probably the way that I would play it. But uh but there, there's certainly a ton of flexibility here, right? I, I wonder if there's too much. <laughs> it's it's hard to say. D- through this whole review that I did, um, you know, Teos and I will go through all of the ten towns because we went through all of the yeah. ten towns. But what really struck me as I went through all of this was how conflicted I was about whether this was the best way to present it. Because part of me would say, no, no, no. And then part of me would say, yes, obviously, this is how you needed to do this. There should have been more. No, there should have been less. There, there should have been, you know, there should have been a solid quest. No, there should have just been this hint at a quest. You know, they should have spelled it out. No, they should have just left it as is to let the DM do with it what they, what they want. I was just so conflicted that I, I found myself arguing with myself constantly <laughs> yeah, me too. as I was as I was typing out notes which really just comes back to the point that this game that we play is so complex in a good way it is it can be played in so many different ways it can be prepared in so many different ways uh, it it has a draw for so many different types of players and so many different types of creativity that there is no one right way to present it, but there are a lot of wrong ways. And so as we evaluate these things and say, you know, I wouldn't have done that. It's not saying that what they did was wrong. It's just for the, for the 
frame of mind we were in at the time we were reading Mm -hmm. and at the focus we had at the time we were reading, maybe there was a better way to do it. Or even that it just stuck in our minds, right? Or caused a reaction, but it's not necessarily... Uh, nothing, nothing I, you know, means that you're not going to have fun, right? <laughs> That's the thing. Right. D&D is so flexible. Right. And, you know, I found myself saying, boy, I would love to run this. And then I would hate to run this. <laughs> right. When I, when I've had time to prepare and think when I was really in a creative mood, I would love to run this. If I was pressed for time or if the party were a group that went off and did random wild things that I didn't expect, I would both love and hate to run this. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just this, it, it tells me that there is a lot there, which is great because you want a lot there to work with uh, as the DM. At, at the highest level, when I read this whole kind of chapter one, um, one of the things I really love is each town has a thing to do. So what's not mm-hmm. going to happen is you're not going to go to a town and be bored or you know kicking snowballs around because they will have a thing to do and so Mm -hmm. each session of play you should have a good time and then you can give them some rumor and they can move on so you're not gonna like like worse comes to worse you're gonna have really fun (laughs) dnd you know you're gonna have a great time in a town you're gonna go to the next town for your next session um or spend a couple sessions in town like it's not gonna be a problem but what i do think as a as a sort of designer dm i think to myself you know i love it when an adventure is always progressing me towards some goal i'm fighting giants i'm stopping a death curse i'm doing something and it's very hard to do that that's why both the adventures i just named are not perfect um Mm -hmm. but in this one it's sort of like we know there's this horrible effect of an endless winter Mm -hmm. and nothing is taking us towards really resolving it Right. At this stage, we're just merely kind of doing these minor tasks. And right. I could see a lot of players that might get a little antsy as to, isn't there some hint of how I can? Nope. None of us have any info yeah. for you. Sorry. But hey, you know what? Uh, could you go handle this smaller quest? Yeah. And if you do have that sort of smaller quest feel that doesn't lead you obviously toward the main uh, plots of the adventure, you still want to show, you can still entertain the players by showing the effects of, of what's going on because of plot a, B or C, this thing is happening. And we do get that just slightly hinted at in some of the quests, but for the most part, this could be happening anywhere in any Arctic setting without this uh, rhyme of the frost maiden, without uh, the other plots that are going to end up becoming important, it doesn't tie into them or even just hint at this is the re- result of these things. Yeah. And it's unusual in that sense. And that um, the hand of Oriel is not directly felt like in a lot of these adventures, right, you are fighting the agents of the big bad and sort of working your way through increasingly stronger agents of the big bad. But that's mm-hmm. not the case here. We're, we're working more like on the, she, she's almost like a, a, a natural force, right, that has done this. And, and we have no information on how to 
deal with that. So we're just dealing with the other things that have resulted because of this extreme cold is more than anything else that's going on. Right. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of ties in, but it doesn't. And you do get the feel slightly that it's just, we're doing this to level <laughs> a little bit. And then, yeah. and then once we get to the correct level, we'll mm-hmm. really start in on the, the plot of the adventure so we can start creating our stories. Um, and, and it's, it's not terrible. It just, maybe you as the DM need to weave in a little bit more of that overarching plot in some way to, um, to make the players feel it more. Yeah. Well, do we, what do you think? Do we have time to go over these two starting quests? I think we do. Cool. Which one do you want to talk about? Well, why don't we talk about cold hearted killer first? Mm-hmm. So cold hearted killer is one of the two starting quests that they suggest. And this is more along the lines of a combat quest, but it doesn't happen all at once. It plays out over time. This can happen in any town, but you are introduced to Lean Trollbane, a retired dwarf bounty hunter who believes that there is a serial killer on the loose. She is a little bit too old. She's already done her time as an adventurer, so she wants the heroes to investigate. And she has a specific suspect in mind. He works for a traveling merchant company. So any town could host this merchant company when the characters decide to investigate. Um, the overall, it is fairly straightforward. Um, the su- suspect is in fact the killer. So there's no mm-hmm. sort of plot twist there, but you still do need to have the characters do their due diligence in in finding out you know the who what where when and why well actually they know the who so the where when and why of of why these murders take place yeah i find all the adventures in this book actually do a fairly good job sort of giving you those pieces that characters need to feel good about an action um, and i think there's there's some good you know they can find good evidence here and then there are a number of ways to get rewarding information that confirms this i thought that was all really done very well so an interesting thing, right, is that uh, the the suspect can't be in the original town where you get this quest, right? And then the so then it's like, well, they could be anywhere because they're a traveling merchant company. Mm-hmm. So theoretically, you could roll, although you could also just choose as DM. Uh, but then they also can ask around and figure out what the merchant company's schedule is. So they could even hit it in the second town. And one thing that's important, and it's created a lot of conversation back a couple of weeks ago, is the final fight is very hard. Mm-hmm. It's a bandit captain, four bandits, and this CR3 uh, guilty person. Yep. That's a lot to handle. <laughs> so you better not be level one. And the intention is... Whatever town you started in, you will do that town's starting quest. So now you're not first level, you're second. Yep. And then maybe you've traveled some. So you probably, you know, maybe you even do the second town's quest. Oh, now you're, you know, level three-ish or something like that. And then you face off against this and you have a chance at it. But it's worth thinking about very carefully about your character's strength 
and you may need to withhold leads or, oh yeah, they did come to this town, but you just missed them, right? Or do whatever you need to do to make this reasonable for your party, depending on how strong they are tactically and, and just what level they are. Right. The other option is to make sure that the players and their characters understand that they are walking into a pretty nasty hornet's nest if they just do a front-on attack on on this group. Um, they should understand that uh, the the killer will be assisted by his friends unless he can be drawn away somehow. Yeah. Or if somehow he, you can reason with other people to help you or you know some other way because otherwise it is for for a first level party especially if you only maybe you know four or five characters it's not going to go well and there's some guidance here uh which is good i, I wish there was a bit more because especially for new dms even you know, long-standing dms sometimes we we get into this trap where we think like well the the fun is the hard fight but it's usually even more fun if you drop a small hint mm -hmm. that says what you're talking about, right? That, that you don't want to face these head on and then see your players come up with whatever ridiculous plan they will come up with to separate right. these groups, right? right? That right there is probably going to be 90% of your fun for this quest is in how they would approach separating everybody out and trying to handle it. And it's going to feel probably super rewarding to them if it goes off well, right? If they're able to take a bandit down or two or the captain or just the one guy, um, that is super rewarding play. And, and, and I think could use a little more emphasis here. Right. And if you go the investigation route, the characters can figure all of this out, figure out exactly who he will be targeting next. And then, do the old thing that you see on the police procedurals, right? The, the assassin breaks into the house and the party's there waiting. Yeah. For them, right. Cause that makes them feel super cool. Yeah. As well as makes it a fight that maybe they have a better chance of winning. And do you want to talk about how cool this villain is? Oh yeah. Cause he is, he's got a really neat story. He's not just some, uh, you know, evil person who decided to kill off people he has right uh, he's been possessed by winter spirit yep so there are people if you want the plot there are people who are being involved in these uh towns that have human sacrifices to to oreal and some people are paying their way out of the lottery so they cannot be chosen and that upsets oreal so Aurel possesses the killer and sends him to seek vengeance on those who are escaping their rightful place in these lotteries. Uh, so that, that's the one reason to keep these, this human sacrifice yeah, that's uh, true. Yeah. thing, because without that, this becomes less of a dramatic story and reason for yeah. um, you know, his, his killing. It's really neat. There's a lot here that makes this quest really fun uh, when you defeat him. He also, he wields weapons made of ice that he can conjure. So there's some, that's a nice piece that kind of, you know, again, no direct link to Oriole that they can truly use, but it's, it, it's her influence is felt here and seen. That's pretty yeah. neat. Yeah. And so when you do DM it and your players are 
uh, fighting this assassin serial killer play up those aspects because that does speak to the larger overall picture of what O'Reilly is doing in this area at this time. And, you know, having his eyes glow blue and having weapons just appear in his hands made of ice, having his regeneration uh, happen because of, of the cold makes it, uh, well, it makes him a really even harder combat, but uh, it, it makes, it brings home that point that there is a very supernatural aspect to what's happening here. And this guy's no joke. Cold regen of five hit points at the start of his turn, attacks twice for an average of 12 or 13 damage with each hit. 75 hit at, points. At first level, that's uh, that's two that's two characters around. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, even basically. if you're facing him at second, like you, you want to give this some yeah. time, and, and you definitely don't want him plus a bandit captain plus however many yeah, bandits it was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So again, you know, make it clear, make it, make it a test of intelligence. Let the players and their characters know these these people know their way around swords. Yeah. Probably even more than you. And there's there, you can have a lot of fun with this adventure, right? If you visit the scene of a crime, if you can, you know, they get to a town a little late, but you can visit the scene of one of the murders, and you could have some really good times with this quest if if you if you spend some time thinking through how to let it play out. Could, and give them mm-hmm. some opportunities for the players to be creative. This could be great. Yeah, and and it's it's this is good uh, good practice for a DM because most adventures are like that, yeah. right? Most adventures, even even the most well written runs, are better for your work on it as the DM to to perfect it to your party's particular tastes and their particular play styles. So. I like the fact that it's such a great story. It's such a great um, investigation that you can do. Mm -hmm. And I like that it gives the DM the tools to work with it even more. Yeah. The second starting quest is a little less bloody, I hope. (laughs) A lot less bloody. Yeah, you're doing it wrong if you do it bloody. Yes. So this is the non-combat quest where a half-elf asks your help in locating Twingus, which are nature spirits but on the elemental side of the scale rather than being a, a nature, being an animal, mm-hmm. say. Um, she gives the party a lantern for tracking elementals and asks them to go bring some Twingas home for her. Uh, and things can, can either go very smoothly from there or perhaps maybe not. Yeah, and so you have a 25% chance of any town having a Twinga, but not in whatever town you meet, Danica Grace deals. Town one where you start, you know, again, can't do it there. So you go to another town, 25% chance. If you are in a town where this can happen and you're asking around, you'll run into a person that's complaining that their home is cursed. Mm-hmm. And you can go in and, and sort of interact with the Twingas. Uh, you can have a pantomime tea party, all sorts of kind of fun situation like that. Um, and if you do this successfully, the Chewinga is then going to follow whatever character interacted with it. Um, now one interesting thing about that is that, you know, you could potentially get a Chewinga killed off if you go into Mm -hmm. doing some kind of quest or whatever. And I'm not entirely sure exactly how this really, I mean, I know what the adventures have been tending, but, but it, to me, when I think through how this would play out, like the Chewinga is going to follow you for 10 days. 
But your job is to sort of take it to Danica who hired you and she's gonna capture it. Now I'm guessing that means she takes it from you. Does, does that mean you're not gonna get the reward that Chewinga would bestow from you at the end of 10 days that it follows you? Yeah, that's something that you need as the DM to decide ahead of time because you know, these these chewingas are kind of fun-loving, trickstery sorts of things. They they want you to play with them. And what you're doing is you're kidnapping one. <laughs> yeah, it's not clear and, what Danica really wants to do with these. And it's the little, that's that's hmm. the that's the other thing. That's the other thing is you know what are her intentions? And and I don't know. She's a scholar. Lawful neutral. And you know, it says she wants to study them up close. <laughs> that that can mean a lot of different things, right? That could be like Dr. Frankenstein yeah. studying up close. Yeah. You know, it could be, you know, she just wants to play with them. Uh it's it's hard to it's hard to tell. I think that that's this is perfect fun for a DM, right? Where you you have to answer this question depending on your style, right? Maybe you're gonna you're gonna have it that if they hand over this chewinga. Uh, Danica is going to reward them and then she's going to go off and do some horrible thing with these things and you're going to face off against her later. Yeah. And right. her chewinga tainted, corrupted chewing army or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, it is a, it is something that I'm cool with the adventure, not saying exactly what she's going to do, but the adventure needs to say for the new DM, Hey, you decide what she's going to yeah. do. Here are a variety of options. And if they had added that, I would have gone, this this was great because you can have some fun role playing, uh, you know, cute little twingas and and characters doing silly things to to get them on their side, you know, all yeah. of that. And at the easiest level, right, is you could just simply have it that when the twinga meets Danica, Danica is super nice to it. The twinga yeah. likes Danica. And the Chewinga rewards you for introducing you to the super fascinating person that really loves to study them, right? Like it just, it could all be peaches if you want yeah. it to be that way. And then yeah. it all works out. That's the simplest way, but you could also take it darker or it could be a really tough decision. Like the Chewinga is like, I'm supposed to go with this person? Well, right. Why? Yeah. Why can't I stay with you? Right. You know, it, it, could, it could be a little bit yeah. uh, soul, uh, soul tugging, yeah. tugging really on the old heartstrings. You know what? One thing I would add, and this is just me, I would have the Chewingas near a small piece of Chardolin, but have them like shy away from it like it's a horrible mm. thing that they want nothing to do with. Just to introduce the concept of Chardolin, what it is, and how these nature spirits don't like it at all. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to, just to again, having these encounters do double duty yeah right yeah there's the encounter itself then there's tying it to something larger even throwing in that small detail keeps at the front of their minds for the players and their characters that there's other stuff going on other than this twinga tea party i'm having yeah and maybe that's even why the twingo is drawn to the particular home where it quote unquote haunts is maybe it's trying to actually like figure out how to remove a tool that has a fleck of it in its metal or something like that. Right. Yep. So, so those were the two starting quests. Uh, Next time we will delve into each of the 10 towns as well as the quests that those towns deliver. Uh, Anything you want to say about these starting quests before we sign off? No, I think it's fascinating design. I think this is great. This is fun. I'm excited to run this someday for sure. Awesome. 
So with that, we will say to all of our listeners, you out there in D&D world, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen to us, to let us talk D&D at you for a bit. Um, if you would like to support us, you can do so on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash MMP. And for even a single dollar a month, you can make sure we keep the lights on here and get some extras from all three of the shows that are served by the Patreon, Misdirected Mark Podcast and Pandas Talking Games. So, Teos, where can people find you on the social medias? Uh, I am at AlphaStream on Twitter, and my blog is alphastream.org. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can go to the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com to leave us your thoughts on things we're talking about, deliver us any news that we should be covering, or just let us know how we're doing. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So, Mr. Abadia, what are we going to do now? We're going to face off against some Chewingas to prevent murders. <laughs> or be murdered by Chewingas. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?